1: Howdy, folks. Good old MDA here, bringing you the latest episode of the Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast, where we trawl the history books and look back at the most magnificent event in sports entertainment, or pro wrestling, if you will. Today, we're talking WrestleMania X from the venue that, in many ways, is the spiritual home of the WWE, Madison Square Garden, in New York City. These were tumultuous times for Vince McMahon. Hulk Hogan was WCW bound, and Vince was waiting for his trial on charges of distributing steroids, for which he'd be acquitted to begin a couple of months later. The Fed were at the Garden in March of '94 for an event they shockingly didn't keep referring to incorrectly as the 10th anniversary of WrestleMania. The show featured the brother versus brother bout between Bret and Owen Hart, a two-for-one deal that no one wanted in terms of WWF title matches, and we get our first glimpse in this series of the Macho Man. Oh yeah, dig it! And Donnie Wahlberg. I can't take this journey alone though. In fact, I built the most feared stable in all of wrestling podcasting over these past months. First up, she's a writer, a teacher, a journalist, and part of the new generation. It's the anti diva Carrie Dunn. Hello. Next a chap with more fingers in pies than Yoko Zuna at a buffet table. The heartbreak man, Carl Anker. Slepping to a slim gym, brother. And last but not least, breaking sports news for Sky, like WWE do fictional box office records. Please welcome the beast from the east, Anton Tolui. Hello there. Before the matches, we got Little Richard singing America the Beautiful. If you've ever seen the Simpsons episode where Homer becomes the Springfield Isotopes mascot, you can't help but have spotted the similarity between Diminutive Dicky's version of the Mania staple and that of Bleeding Gums Murphy. Uh, it took a while, basically. Uh, to the card, then. First, I want to talk about the match that kicked things off as brothers collided with Owen Hart taking on Brett the Hit. Manhart, As a result of jointly winning the Royal Rumble with Lex Luger earlier that year, don't ask, this was the first of two matches from Brett, whose title shot would close the show. First up, though, he did the J-O-B to his baby brother. Similarities with Mania's to come, Brett said in the building he'd never face Owen, a Taker and Kane. Brett fights twice, like Daniel Bryan at 30. Carrie, as a heart lover, you must have been devastated to see the destruction of the brothers' relationship.
2: Well, obviously, but, you know, it's heart brothers. They argue and fight all the time, but... I love this so much. My notes for this—I've just written. I love Owen over and over again. I think we were probably
1: all—me, um, Carl, Anton, and producer Ben—we're all just thinking of you throughout this match and, oh. and all the literal uh, heart eyes flying out of your eyes, heart and, eyes and, and heart yeah. eyes, yeah. I
2: get it. Um, yeah, absolutely. This, this was this was beautiful, and the, the more I kind of so I watched this a couple of times, admittedly. And watching Owen, and we've talked before about Brett not being a great actor. Owen can act. Owen was a fantastic actor. Why did Vince only ever use him either as a heel or as comic relief? It's just ridiculous.
1: I can tell you why. We're going to dip in quite a bit to Brett's book here. But um, apparently Pat Patterson didn't rate Owen at all and wanted Bruce Hart to be the person Bruce who Hart. faced him in this match. As ridiculous as that sounds.
2: Yeah, so Bruce Hart is one of, obviously there's, there's 12 of them and they all fight quite a lot about who's going to be the worst Hart that week. Bruce was always fairly near the top of it. Bruce, is, Bruce has always also written a book which everyone must read because the stuff he comes out with, the stuff that Bruce says that Bruce invented is hilarious. Bruce thinks he invented the sharpshooter for a start. Um, yeah, Bruce, not a great wrestler. I suspect he would have been difficult for WWF to control. I don't know why they would have wanted to bring him in. but um,
1: Not a great ref either, as we saw oh in God. the
2: Vince <laughs> no. match. No, there's also that. But I also think that Owen didn't quite have the look. He wasn't quite the right size as well for Vince at that point. But Owen, just amazing. I love this.
3: Carl, this was the workhorse match, as you call it. Did it work for you? Oh, it's fantastic. Um... I, I have a soft spot for brother versus brother uh, master versus apprentice matches because they they tell great stories within them and the way people wrestle these matches changes midway through. So this starts off with heart clean crisp chain wrestling and then it gets you know to act 2 and act 3 and it gets bitty because you're brothers and you, you know you you go from okay we're going to try I'm going to try and fight Regular and then no, I, I need to beat you, so I'm going to start cheating. I'm going to ta- start taking shortcuts, um, and it just—it's just the great bit of brawling at the end as Owen gets increasingly desperate and then starts targeting Brett's knee, which I just—I really, really enjoy. Um, the usage of the figure four leg lock is great. It's—it's it's so good. We surprised Anton at, at the winner.
4: Yeah, I was uh, simply because there were two pile drivers by Owen to Brett. And he doesn't put him away. They make you shudder a bit. Yeah, know look, what would happen with Owen oh, and of Stone course, Cold? completely. But they were, you know, this is they—they they fit the match. They, they fit the intensity that the brother just wants to hurt the other brother. Um, and yeah, I because you knew Bret Hart was going to be on the bill at the later on later on in the bill as well. The narrative almost for the event didn't make sense because you've got the better guy winning and then not appearing until right at the end. So it was. Yeah, I mean this match is is incredible. If anybody hasn't watched it, go and watch it because it's it's a wonderful um, storytelling sort of. Like you said, there's stages in the match. There's a tacit hatred from Owen, which is look, I, I actually just want to hurt you. I don't have, to, I want to win, but I also want to hurt you. And the, it's one of got one of the best low blows you'll see because he does it off the ropes and kicks behind and really gets torque on his leg. So it, look, it was only going to hurt. And he wins by reversing one of Brett's slams. So you're just thinking, so he, he also outwits him to beat him as well. It's it's wonderful. It's a fantastic match. I don't know whether because Owen Hart looked like a cross between Brett Hart and Ian Dowie, that held him <laughs> back, or whether there was something else because they already had Brett, who was the guy they didn't need someone else. I, I don't know what held Owen back. But watching this, I don't understand why Owen Hart wasn't the Daniel Bryan of his time. Carrie, you're not only a doctor, you're a heart specialist.
1: Why does Jerry Lawler hate the Hart family?
2: Um, All
1: the digs here, goodness me. <laughs> Take it down a notch, man.
2: But if you actually track him back in the commentary from the from the next few WrestleMania's, he does it repeatedly. He uses the same digs at Stu and Helen Hart, which obviously makes increasingly less sense because it's always about how old they are. Yeah, irony alert. They, they, they're younger. Unlike your
1: wives, Jerry.
2: <laughs> I, I didn't say that, but yes. Um, yeah, I th- I'm suspecting it's possibly a, a, a territories thing. So obviously Stu and Helen ran Stampede up in Canada. I was also kind of thinking these might also be fairly scripted digs, because Vince was still having a row with the Hearts about running uh, in Canada. So I suspect Vince is going right. Here's the same digs we made last year. Same again this year. We just want to embarrass the Hearts a bit more.
1: And 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 maybe kind of Jerry Lawler wanting to curry favour with Vince McMahon by doing it. I as don't
2: well. care about Jerry Lawler. Let's not talk about him ever again. <laughs>
4: One question I've got, and I don't know whether it's true or not someone asked me once whether because we had uh, Owen versus trips didn't we further down the line um was whether the game character was supposed to be for owen
2: that's what I understand that is that that is the story, and uh, then Triple H took it on as a tribute, and I'm putting that in air quotes. Everything I see
4: at this mania would make sense mm. for that character on that guy. I think that could be you know could have been amazing he was the rocket here of course wasn't it was he the Hart. rocket yeah
3: there's something about Owen Hart that strikes me as he he's pretty much laid back Owen oh, do you want to do this superhero character yeah all right Owen oh, do you want to be in a nation domination sounds ridiculous I can make it work and because he could make it work you would you'd hopefully imagine if he if the accident hadn't occurred he would have eventually been rewarded by Vince by having a, a run at the top but unfortunately he was taken from us too soon mm. I That's, think it,
2: Interesting, because what you're saying about Owen's promo is actually what worked about it for me. The fact that it just come across that he's just really, really angry with his big brother, and there's that kind of sense of realness, and that really made it hit home for me. Uh, Also, I think one of the interesting things about Owen is that he always had, his. he was quite open about his plan that he didn't want to stick around in professional wrestling too long. And I don't think Vince ever likes that, that someone has plans outside his company, which is, should be everybody's priority for the rest of their lives. So perhaps that's also a contributory factor. Yeah,
1: credit then, I guess, to Chris Jericho for being able to spin plates in, in various walks of life. Oh, now,
3: when Triple H is in charge, that guy is not touching a WWE ring again. <laughs>
1: We shall see. Um, I mentioned earlier that we had two title matches on the show after Brett and Lex Luger co-won the Royal Rumble. Luger first to get his title shot. We shall point out that Donnie Wahlberg from NKOTB, aka New Kids on the Block, and Rhonda Shear, an American TV host, the ring announcer and timekeeper respectively, missed a perfect special ref. He played a big part in the finish, DQing Luger to give Yoko the win. We spoke a fair bit about Luger last week. Here he was rocking the All-American gimmick. Um, We kind of touched on that, but we didn't go into it that much He'd slammed Yokozuna on the USS Intrepid the previous summer, leading to the Lex Express nonsense. Um He was supposed to be, as you said last week, Anton, um, John Cena version one, effectively, the All-American hero, but he just didn't fit that gimmick in the slightest.
4: You need, as Carl kind of um, alluded to, you need charisma. And you need to be able to cut a promo that everybody gets behind. And like Cena or not... He's, you know, he's an orator. He can, you know, he can captivate a crowd. Not only did Luger not have that ability, it didn't really seem like he wanted to. It never really seemed as though that part of the business was important to him. And I don't know whether that's just, you know, he was never pushed in that direction, or whether it's a personal thing, or it's just something he didn't feel comfortable with. But it never really happened. There was, I can't think of any great Lex Luger promos, for example. I don't know if there are any wrong priests, like let me know. But I genuinely can't think of think of any off the top of my head which is quite sad considering where like the standing he had and the battles he was in of that time the narcissist kind of seemed to fit
1: his personality a bit more as a gimmick than than the all-american american And american. Um, pulling double duty here is that why obviously such a big guy not particularly fit is that why we saw so many rest holds in this match because he'd have to do it all again it was a real stinker of oh a match. oh my
2: god why did they on for so long though why didn't they just like Cut that and give the hearts, like, 20 more minutes. All the, all the rest holds. Nothing happened. There was no reason for it to be this long. It was terrible.
1: And the end. Mr Perfect DQs Luger for hitting Cornet, who gets involved. Fuji also takes a bump. So there's a grain of logic there, but Perfect basically just ends the match and walks off. It was really lazy, clunky, and it made you think bad things about Mr Perfect, which is not good.
3: I know. I, I, I wrote in my notes what on earth is... Mr. Perfect, doing? I didn't say the word Earth. um I've, It's the most disappointed I've ever been in Mr. It's the most disappointed I've ever been in Mr. Perfect, and I no. I, in my notes as well, I didn't I didn't look up the card, so my
4: notes say, "Oh my God, not another special." It's Mr. Perfect. <laughs> but is that so, Mr. Per, it's most disappointed you've ever been in Mr. Perfect yep. in the week you've started calling Matt Mr. Perfect. <laughs> I like Matt. Yeah, but that doesn't seem very nice now, <laughs>
1: because he was disappointed in him. Yeah. He's decided to use it as my
4: monitor. Exactly. Okay. Great. Um, yeah, it was odd, wasn't it? At the end. So Luger gets disqualified for dragging the two managers into the ring to beat them. Um, but then I just then obviously the match finishes and Luger and uh, Perfect are separated, sort of in the. What the tunnel, the ring entrance? Kind Poor old Todd Pettingill has to um, exactly. juggle plates, yeah. And Spin just, plates, Luger, you don't Luger's, juggle them, do you? No, you don't juggle plates. Yeah. Well, that's a good, that was a good act, though. <laughs> um, and you can tell it doesn't make any sense because the last words out of Perfect's mouth are, Well, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> As in, he's just completely, perfect, perfect. <laughs> completely lost all the logic behind his decisions, but he's just like, Screw it, I've got the charisma to pull it off, so no one's going to tell me I'm wrong.
3: The interesting thing is, right at the start, when Lex Luger comes down to the ring, Vince is all in. He's like, get ready for the next decade of WWE, and is talking about how it's a new era, which I don't know if it is Vince being a crafty storyteller, or if he genuinely believed that Lex Luger was going to... I mean, he got nine WrestleManias, more or less, out of Hulk Hogan. Could you imagine Lex Luger rocking up at WrestleMania 18, near the main event?
4: Rock versus Luger. It could have been. (laughs) It could have been. Sneaky good music there, Luger. Really? Yeah. I didn't didn't mind the music. I was was trying to listen to it on the way here. It's like, was it alright? Was it quite good? And then the next track of... Because I was listening on Spotify... And it was from the Uncaged Four album. Was that version? I don't know why. And then the last track on that album is the DX Christmas song, the Christmas version of their music. which Now, now the, you sent have us a screenshot it, of this. You've got to sing it though. No, you can't. It's 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 an instrumental, but it's got it's got the chimes and the bells in it. So <laughs> just go out and listen to it. It's it's bizarre. So like E17 did with Stay Another Day, exactly. you put some chimes and bells in
1: it, and it becomes a Christmas song. Clever, good marketing. Um, I think we should probably take a break here. Well, let's do that now. Parts Unknown continues next. Okay, Brett wasn't the only man who wrestled twice on the show. As we said, Yokozuna defending his title for a second time in the show closing match against the Hitman. Surprise, surprise, Roddy Piper was the special referee. Brett would win the belt to give us the feel-good ending, as was the style of the time for WrestleMania. Um, the first Yoko match, as we said, dole to avoid knacker him out for this one, maybe. Brett called this one of the greatest nights of his life and the highlight of his career. Carrie... Are we seeing him at his peak here in terms of his in-ring ability and in terms of, you know, how his career would go?
2: Yeah, um, this whole ending, I thought, was amazing. So the rest of the locker room pretty much come out uh, and Brett's being carried around the ring. It's the final couple of shots that make it for me. So Owen then (laughs) comes out and he's standing in the aisle and... Doesn't say a word, he just looks at him.
4: The crowd are cheering for him to go to the ring and hug his brother. They are.
2: That's what they're hoping for. They're hoping for the kind of nice brotherly reunion that, and it doesn't happen. There's this crackling tension. And again, we say it again Brett, never a great actor, but there is that kind of brotherly thing going on. He can't even, you know, even even Brett struggling with a promo wouldn't be able to.
4: If only we saw that. that though.
2: Oh my yeah. god, the camera work here. So basically, <laughs> they switch to a hard cam, don't they? Behind everybody else in the ring. So you can't see Owen, and you can only see Brett's back, but you can see a lot of people in the ring holding Brett up. Oh, yeah, terrible.
1: So this is kind of why we need Vince off commentary <laughs> and
2: doing the Shouts directing to, <laughs> to say, he choose this
3: shot, choose that shot. What do you think of the match, girl? It It's good. It get, Brett gets a good match out of Yokozuna. That I hope in time I will have to apologise for that statement because Yokozuna is very good for a big man. He has this amazing um, headbutt cell. So, Bret Hart, much like Kurt Angle, has this great I'm going to chop you down if you're bigger than me and then set up. I'm going to take your legs away from you I'm going to set up the sharpshooter. But there's a bit where he's punching, punching, punching and then just starts hitting Yokozuna with three headbutts. Yokozuna staggers back, takes a step, takes two steps back and then falls in a real... Oh, of course, you've been headbutted um, he also has the bet- the better uh, 2.8 or 2.9 near pinfalls that you'll see uh, of this era Stone Cold being the best but Yoko really really he doesn't kick his legs up at 2 he waits just an extra half second so you get the near oh was that a 3 yet um, the ending I didn't quite like so just simply Zuna loses his footing and falls over and then Brett pins him but this is this is great. Apart from the you know the typical what'd you say, Brett? What'd but you it, say
2: again? That kind of ending is viable, isn't it? I mean, Yokozuna um, attacked Brett before the bell as well, so you are kind of setting out you know very very clearly that this is a bad guy here, and you can kind of buy that Yokozuna might fall and not be able to get back up again, particularly if he's taken some damage.
4: Uh, he's got a great leg drop, mm. one of the best leg drops I've seen in WrestleMania as well, because it looks like it lands plum on um, Bret Hart's chops. It looks painful and you're like of course this guy was morbidly obese and is dropping anywhere near your throat or face it's gonna really hurt i'm 568 pounds at this time i'm really glad you said about yokosina because he's really good i really regardless of size and you know there is there's pace more pace there you'd expect there's more agility there you'd expect there's more ring now there than you'd expect from and yeah i like, Why don't we talk about Yokozuna, is Yokozuna more? This is my next
1: question for you, Anton. A.K.A. Rodney Anawahi, if you recognise that surname, his cousins, Roman Reigns, Rikishi, Samu, Rosie, Manu, Umaga and The Rock. You never hear about Yokozuna in modern day WWE.
4: Why have they kind of airbrushed him from history? He's not, he's not a scandal guy, is he? Not at all. He's headlining your biggest events and was a huge draw for the company. I don't know whether it's because, obviously, he was billed as Japanese and... He, he wasn't. I don't know whether it's because, you know, he died way too young and, you know, I'm not saying that they were, but people will look into how that happens, whether there was a culpability behind it or not, who's to blame. There's always that culture when something like that happens. I just don't understand why you would not mention him. Why, you know, Roman Reigns doesn't mention him. Why, why you know, this proud Samoan heritage. It's OK. We can you know, we know. We know people were made to do things you know, that now we wouldn't be comfortable with. That's that's part of the premise of this entire podcast. So why can't we talk about... I don't understand why we can't talk about Yokozuna as, as being amazing. And even
1: to the point where he... The roar after he died, he got the, I think, the in-tribute graphic at the start. Uh, but the only other really thing they did in reflection was Undertaker, after his match, took his top off and underneath had a Yokozuna t-shirt on because he was good mates with him. And he was kind of like, he had to force that issue of getting his name out there it just
3: just doesn't make much sense i think it's because he's tied up with not particularly good wrestlemanias not the matches themselves but in terms of yokozuna's big moments of wrestlemania 10 wrestlemania 11 which aren't particularly pleasant times if you're Vince McMahon in charge of wrestlemanias he also is in you know has a big part in the scariest finish to a wrestlemania ever which we'll get to in season three, um, at WrestleMania nine, I think that could play a part as well. In that, he's, unfortunately, he was a—he's an amazing wrestler, but he was—he was amazing before he did. But he's—he was a transitional champion.
2: So you think it's Vince free-writing history in his own head, deluding himself, and thinking, "I don't want to think about that anymore." Therefore, we're not talking about Yokozuna.
4: Yeah, that strikes me as Vince something. Okay. Cool music, Yokozuna. Yeah. I quite like his
2: music. Get, get, get me a
4: vintage Yokozuna t-shirt, and I'll wear it. Okay. We'll look into it. No, that. no, no. I mean, like, okay. like, like. like <laughs> no, please, we'll it'd be nice. No. No, no, sorry, I meant, I meant to Vince. <laughs> in terms of, you could still, you know, this, this guy is like, you could make him cool again. You can, you can, just, just, come on, just and give also, him, give him, give him the. Props his his look is very much not the prototypical
3: look for a WWE champion, and maybe Vince doesn't want that in his when he's the hagographies and, and the the telling of the WrestleManias. You don't want to give the spotlight or show that you gave the spotlight to a man who was obese because Vince you know through a lot of his storytelling Vince seems to have a particular feeling towards people who are of that size
2: are we not going to talk about Burt Reynolds and Jenny Garth Oh
3: uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. okay so
1: Burt Reynolds uh yeah come on tell us
2: so Burt Reynolds turns up at the start of this and I didn't know he was going to turn up and I was just like that's Burt Reynolds. And that was really exciting. And hairy chest. Very hairy chest. Um, also uh, also posed for Playgirl, like Shawn Michaels did. Um, so he's, he was the guest ring announcer. And then Jenny Garth from Beverly Hills 90210 is the guest timekeeper for the main event. And it's just the most 90s thing I've ever seen. It was amazing.
1: Burt Reynolds was on the um, the faces uh, running at the end, holding up Brett as well, wasn't he? Because he's, he's the ultimate baby face. Burt Reynolds is an actor.
4: Bert Reynolds can't be bothered to learn his lines for this. <laughs> Bert Reynolds gets, gets handwritten cue cards on paper, not even cards, written so big that I could almost see them written through the paper. Um, when he was, when he's at ring announcing, it's utterly, utterly bizarre. And then he's just standing in the ring at the end as the likes of Tatanka <laughs> and Rhonda Shears. That was me sh- shrugging my shoulders. I still don't really know who she is. Like we come into the ring to, to crown the champion. It's all very odd, isn't it? Rhonda Shears apparently was a game show host. I think that's as much time as we need to spend on her. A match of the
1: night honours went to Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramone who fought for the Intercontinental title in what was the first widely broadcast ladder match. They had tried it out on house shows. This is the first time it was seen on the grand stage.
2: Do you know who invented the ladder match?
1: Bret Hart, we'll get there, don't It was you worry.
2: Bruce Hart. Bruce <laughs> Hart invented it. What are you talking Shortly about? Shortly after he
1: invented sliced bread and the wheel. That's correct. Yeah, OK. Um, yeah, so not to make this show all about Bret Hart, but his views on this in his book, interesting and merit and mention. He claims he came up with the ladder match concept and that Sean nicked it. He said, Sean went to Vince and stole my idea for the ladder match. Not surprisingly, it stole the show. Why wouldn't it? I watched it on the monitor in the back thinking, you thieving bastard. Brett was particularly cross about the finish which he'd come up with that uh, they used here. Carl, talk us through how this match ended.
3: Uh, it's, Which is weird. The finish is an incredibly Shawn Michaels finish. Shawn Michaels uh, is climbing the ladder, Razor him knocks it. Shawn gets his grapefruits stuck on the ropes uh, and then somehow manages to get his foot tied within the top rope so he cannot undo his uh, foot. Much in the same way you can wrap your arms up in the top rope, he gets his foot done and he tries to undo his foot, and then he gets his arm trapped in top rope, and then Razor Moon just collects both both Intercontinental titles, because at the time there is a disputed lineage um, so if I remember correctly, Sean had the Intercontinental belt had to drop it, disappeared Razor Moon became the interim champion and this was a match to be, you know become the undisputed Intercontinental title. Um, the ending is, yeah, Bret Hart wouldn't be able to pull that off not because he couldn't but because that is such a ridiculous sean michaels thing to end the match with.
1: like in bearing his ass midway through the match which is very rick flair who Shawn michaels idolizes and and very unpleasant um anton this always comes up in the the best wrestlemania matches
4: lists on various websites and stuff and it merits its place there it's brilliant it is utterly brilliant i don't understand why it took another six years for it to appear at wrestlemania this is this is incredible. First ever televised ladder match. So everybody would have been seeing this for the first time, what what this is like. I think they would have been genuine surprise to see ladders used as weapons. And Razor Ramon takes a beating for the first 10 minutes. Cause, and Sean is... Absolutely incredible! Absolutely incredible! You know, catapults into ladders, hangs on, pulls the ladder back on top of him. He's set. Not only is he sort of you know made the main offensive guy, but also he's selling moves in an acrobatic way to hurt himself. It's this is great. This is really really good considering some of the other matches that we were watching of the time. This this felt like a trailblazing match. I genuinely don't understand why it took so long for them to. Really embrace that athleticism and this spontaneity, sort of seeming spontaneity of some of the moves. It's, this is wonderful. This is absolutely great. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm sure Michael's has got a nice bum as well. So I don't, you know, it's, <laughs> it's fine. It's all right. Interesting subplot to this match, which
1: I wasn't aware of till I started um, doing some research. According to the Pro Wrestling Torch newsletter that came out around this issue, the dominant topic of conversation in wrestling circles the Monday after WrestleMania concerned Michael's performance and speculation on where he'll go from here. He gave his notice to the WWF with his finish date being WrestleMania. Sources say he reneged on his notice at one point, but then reconfirmed WrestleMania would be his final date. The only indication as of press time is that he's taking time off a game for personal reasons. Also speculation that Michael's had an offer waiting for him at WCW, which would better fit his financial financial desires and scheduling preferences um carry classic 90s sean by the sounds of it
2: i bet he just forgot that he handed his notice in.
1: <laughs> but it's this is a play for more money it sounds like doesn't it hey i'll go to wcw if you don't give me a bit more money
2: oh yeah absolutely and i guess half killing yourself in a really impressive first of its kind ladder match is, is a good way to do that
1: Especially at this time, with people jumping ship left, right and centre for for WCW, it was something he always had in his back pocket, I guess. Oh yeah, Vince was deathly afraid of losing
3: Sean. Which, I can kind of understand why, because Sean was utterly unique in terms of athleticism. But you could, well, not replace the athleticism, you could replace his character function within the storyline easily. But Vince Vince was just afraid of everyone running around. Something's really interesting in the match, you know, all the, there's so many current wrestler stars. Like, oh, yeah, WrestleMania 10s. My, I think this is Dolph Ziggler's favourite WrestleMania match. Um, and the writing was always... Um, Razor Ramon was having a match against Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels was having a match against the ladder, which was one of those like weird... Oh, Shawn Michaels, has told you to say that, didn't he? I was really surprised at the start of this match that there's just one ladder. And then you get into it, and you're like, oh, yeah, you just need one. It, the storytelling's really, really good. And the fact the ladder buckles... Near the towards the end of the match and like, I don't know if that's intended or not but it really shows the weight and strain of this match in the same way that Bret Hart versus Owen Hart is Bret Hart in his element creating a match that no other wrestler will be able to tell Shawn Michaels in this ladder match against Razor Ramon is Shawn Michaels in his element doing something that no one else could do at the time as well and it's a weird sort of mirror as to which way WWE would eventually go
4: and he doesn't win no. Razor Ramon wins this match so, you know, we're all talking about Sean. Um, you know. Again, it's one of his best mates. It's worth pointing that out, isn't it? No, but I um, but, mean. Um, Would yeah. he have lost this to Brett happily if that was the match? No, and and Kevin Nash is also involved in that annoying, I'll leave now because you've asked <laughs> me to leave spot. Um, in a match that was specified as having no rules. No, yeah, exactly, exactly.
3: <laughs> Except, yeah. like a modern day car, no diesel.
1: Better analogy? That's better. Still not great, it's is it? It's not, it's it's not a Tolui level analogy. But this but. is,
4: this. I mean, the, the, everything with a ladder is, is wonderful. And when it, like Carl when it buckles and they start going back up to the ladder, I'm thinking, just go and get another ladder. I don't. What are you doing? But they obviously seem to be okay. And there's a backwards pile driver in this from Sean, which is absolutely beautiful. It's just, this is a Great match! Yeah, go watch it again if you haven't watched
1: it for a while. um Now we've spoken a bit about the celebrity involvement. Carrie, I'm very tired. I've got uh, a newborn baby. I'm not having much sleep. When the Bill Clinton lookalike turned up, I thought it was Bill Clinton. He really looked like Bill Clinton.
2: He does look like him. When they uh, first
1: show him, because they don't they don't come to interview him yeah. first. When he started talking, I thought I-, I smell distance, a rat. Yeah, it
2: does look like him. Once they got closer up, and it's just like. Yeah, that's not a great lookalike, and he doesn't talk particularly well.
1: And he? IRS Wait, is in the background.
2: <laughs> and IRS is standing there talking to him because IRS is a heel because he wants people to pay tax. That is terrible. Um, yeah, when did you realise it wasn't actually him?
1: Uh, when he started talking, I thought, uh, right. I'm not that bright and I could I could do with the rest. Not only that, you could totally imagine Bill Clinton going yeah. to oh, WrestleMania, yeah. that's why. That's yeah. the real reason why you think it might be him. <laughs> um, in terms of the other matches, Randy Savage beat Crush in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Our first look at Savage, here um shout out to my friend joe bell who's not a wrestling fan but has always asked me repeatedly how could you have a good guy whose name is randy savage um <laughs> which i'd never really thought about it's 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 very inappropriate but um but carl tell us tell us all about the macho man why he's so beloved uh such a key figure for for such a long time in
3: in the biz uh, because he was one of the very first wrestlers in, in wwe history to to really appreciate things like work rate and storytelling um when you tell the stories of Wrestlemania you get Wrestlemania number one at Hulk Hogan Mr. T this one Wrestlemania number two Wrestlemania number three you've got Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan and then you also have Macho Man Randy Savage against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat which is called by many the very first work rate match, one of the very first matches that included ring psychology and and really paid attention to uh, limb manipulation and how much damage you've accrued to your knee or your arm or your leg. Um, At the time, Matraman would structure his matches out by the letter. I'm going to do this, then this, then this, then this, then this. Is
1: it a 76-point match, this one, or something like that? This poor old Steamboat. uh, Sorry, the the match with Steamboat. He had to remember every single point of that.
0: So, brother, we're talking about point number 43. you got to be in the spot, etc.
3: I find really interesting because now modern-day wrestlers are very much applauded for creating everything on the fly. So apparently Chris Jericho and Randy Orton can wrestle each other for 35 minutes and not know what they're going to do before they do it because they're that ring aware and have whatever so sort of you've got terry funk being grandpa death i invented hardcore matches um you've got hulk hogan being grandpa i'm a big muscular good guy eat vitamins hooray i'm kind of boring That's not um, that's catchy a title. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and you've got uh macho man being grandpa work great matches and also being one of the greatest promos, or or one of the most uh, archetypical. Like you want to do a wrestling voice, even if you don't know what wrestling, if you don't watch wrestling nowadays. If I go imitate a wrestler, you affect a voice close to Matching Man because oh yeah, that's great. That's fun to do. Gary, have you got an oh yeah in you?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, Anton, this match. Spun my head a little bit bit It it was quite convoluted So it's a falls count anywhere match But you get a fall And then you've got a
4: minute to get back into Into the the ring ring. So they're encouraging you to have your falls outside of the ring Which is a problem halfway through the match When it looks like Savage should pin him in the ring And then has to throw him out the ring Right next to the ring Poor Crush And then wait for Crush to get up and back in the ring It's It's a very odd stipulation They clearly got rid of quite quickly after this
3: It's a weird spin on Last Man Standing
4: Yeah. Which I've never, I've never particularly liked last
3: man standing matches other than what's the interesting way you're going to prevent this person from standing up other than just concuss them.
4: Also, it's kind of sold as obviously force cat anywhere. They can go all over the arena. It takes a long time for them to actually go into the back of the arena and they don't really go that far anyway. And when they do, because of course there is, there's some sort of pulley and a noose waiting there for, shout out to big boss man. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Hope he's okay. Um, (laughs) It's Is symbolic. It? <laughs> and Ahmed Johnson. Um, there's yeah, there's some sort of pulley and noose waiting for um, Savage to wrap Crush's foot in and pull him up, and then so, so he yanks him up, sort of, so he's sort of you know upside down, and then as soon as Savage walks away, he comes back down again. So you're like, well, you could get out of the noose then, mate. Come on. anyway, doesn't matter. Savage goes back to the ring, starts beating on Mr. Fuji just to just to you know. At the time, who how, was Crush's manager? How often is Fuji in like appearing? And he, he sort of managed a lot of people oh, yeah, during Fuji, this time.
3: The quickest way to align your to make yourself a heel at the time is to align yourself yeah. with Mr. Fuji because Mr. Fuji has a fantastic winning record as a manager. <laughs> um, <laughs> Carrie Crush was rubbish on he <whistles> Come on, he was rubbish. I liked him when he was a member of Chronic in WCW. Oof, goodness me. But I was eight. I liked a lot of things when I was eight. Did you see the Brothers of Destruction versus Chronic
1: match, just on a a side note, one of the worst matches in WWF history shortly after the invasion? Oh, I watched it so many times. (laughs) You liked Crush, did you, Carrie?
2: Kind of, yeah. I didn't didn't hate him.
1: Did you prefer Face Crush with the orange outfit or Heel Crush? Heel Crush. Okay. Heel Crush, yeah. You had a crush? Ah, no. Okay. Uh, Men on a mission beat the Quebecers by DQ in a tag title match. Quebecers retained the belts, although they didn't really because for some reason Men on the Mission were were holding them. Uh, Johnny Polo, a.k.a. Raven, managing Quebecers. Why did um, Men on a Mission have the belts at the end of the match and why were the crowd encouraged to to rap about their success when they hadn't won the titles?
3: Because WWE refuses to understand how hip-hop works.
1: (laughs) That was exactly what I was going to say. Um, yeah. So they just needed to have the gold. Yeah. Right. Okay. Strange. Um, Mabel went on to be viscera. Anton, do you remember when he was going out on screen with Lillian Garcia for
4: a bit? That was odd, wasn't it? They were kind of in a weird relationship. It took me about 30 seconds to realize that was viscera because, because he's wearing a, what a, a purple silk dungarees effectively with "Womp" There it is written across. <laughs> um, I mean, they, WWE really just don't understand anything that isn't white, do they really? <laughs> I mean, they really struggle with. It. Oh my word! Um, and remember, they're fighting the Quebecers who are mistakenly referred to as the Mounties because that was another. <laughs> so you know this is. Oh, it, I mean, but in fairness, it's. I mean. Viscera is the star. Uh, Mabel is the big daddy V. Yeah, is is the uh, is the star of this match. Like he actually does does really well in this match. Kind of carries it, and the crowd are crowd are really into this match. Um, Obviously, it's a mess of a finish. There's some kind of count out, which you don't hear the referee counting out. And you said the belts are on the wrong people at the end, and it's all very (laughs) odd. There's two or three missed leg drops because the nineties just loved missed leg drops. As a way to just change momentum. Um it was it was ridiculous, it was silly, it was everything that wrestling shouldn't be, and yet I still was entertained. Gary, is this your favourite Quebecers match?
2: <laughs> On my long, long list of favourite Quebecers match, similar to my Heart League tables. Um God no, I don't even know. Uh, what would be my favourite Quebecers match? They all just happened, didn't they? Well, that that
1: was a kind of nonsensical tag match. But uh, the other one, Doink and Dink versus <sighs> Bam Bam Bigelow and Luna Vachon. Um... Not good is my first note here, but um, what I did always enjoy was Luna Vichon being referred to as Bigelow's main squeeze. That was very 90s um, WWF. We spoke a little bit about Luna in recent weeks. This was a, a kind of different side to her character. Some step up for Bam Bam, though, given where he'd be next year. He probably didn't see coming that he would be main eventing WrestleMania 11.
2: Yeah, again, this is kind of weird to come back to, having previously watched... The, the next WrestleMania, thinking, this guy is actually going to main event next year and he's wrestling Dink and Doink. It was, Yeah, this was not a good match and yeah, I don't have anything to say about it. I'm
1: sorry. Carl, who is Doink?
3: <laughs> I sodding hate clowns. So this was quite hard for me to watch. Um, Doink the Clown is a particularly inter- interesting character because if I recall correctly, it's a prop. It's an IP that WWE are fairly okay with it being used outside WWE. So, at any point, well, at any point in time, there can be multiple dunk the Clowns in the present day just doing the convention circuit because you can just sort of. Buy the license for a bit and and be doink.
1: Matt Bourne was the original <laughs> doink, wasn't he? Um, another wrestler, no longer
4: with us. I think we've said enough about that. Uh, yeah, Anton. So so, so my doink the musical can get off the ground quite easily. <laughs> in that case. Is that what you're going to do? Well, why not? If, uh, if, they, if the license is free, and will uh, will Dink have a starring role in that? He was he was um, a little person who was also yeah. So match. but that's why. It, so it's an intergender match, but there's only one woman in the match, so it's okay for the woman. And the smaller person to fight, but the woman and the men... It, yeah. All very odd. All <laughs> very, very... And they botched the ending as well, didn't they? Because I think Bam Bam and Luna are supposed to try to yes. attack Dink, and Dink rolls out of the way. However, doesn't roll out of the way quick enough because Bam Bam's huge. Uh, so Luna just crashes straight into poor Dink, and then there's just confusion about who's hurt, who should be out of the ring, who, sh- who should have their hands raised, and they just couldn't nail endings so often so many of these matches just after the bell's finished that that crucial couple of minutes so many of these matches are just a mess
2: maybe that's why the cameras kept cutting away they just thought by the end of it oh god let's just keep the camera well away from the ring because it's just embarrassing by this point
1: maybe they got confused by hearing Vince going here we go and thinking oh this must be the go home spot if he's shouting that at us Um, just a couple more matches to go through two squashers, Alundra Blaze beat Leilani Kai, carry women's wrestling, very much an afterthought at this point Blaze though a significant figure in the Monday Night Wars, Um, tell anybody who might not know why that is so
2: so uh, Alundra Blaze also known as Medusa, she was one of the ones who uh, did make the leap but she Held the belt at the time, and she put it in a rubbish bin, and Vince was not happy, and so there was a big schism. On, until, on an, episode of Nitro. an episode of Nitro, sorry, and uh, there was a big schism between uh, Alundra Blaze and the WWE until a couple of years ago when she got inducted into the Hall of Fame and did a little kind of self deprecating thing and basically said, "Sorry, Vince, your belt is lovely." <laughs> it
3: from the bin. Her promo at the time was. Uh... I'm at WCW, because um, at the time the outsiders, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were saying this is where the big boys play, WCW so Medusa comes out and goes this is where the big boys play, takes the WW belt puts it in a dustbin, I'm not here to play, I'm, a Londra, I'm Medusa and I'm here to do X, Y, Z. Uh, the idea that basically Vince, after seeing that, was so afraid that Bret Hart might do something similar when he was champion that it, it kind of planted the seed of what would become the Montreal Screwjob.
1: And goes back into that thing we were talking about the other week where uh, the old champ, the old NWA champ I think had to put a 25 grand deposit down on the belt if they were carrying it. Kind of a little bit of sense in that, maybe um, in that regard. Anton, sadly more Law guff here. Uh, if Alondra has a mi- Alundra has a million dollar body but a ten cent face, she could star in TV westerns if she had two more legs. He's just the worst, isn't
4: he? But he also carried it on. He's still into the next match as well. He was still talking about Blaze. Um, apparently, she was ugly. I don't, I, I don't understand. I, I, I don't understand why he speak like that about anybody. But also, she's not an ugly woman. So, w- w- what's what's his beef with her? What's where, where's that come from? But that's just blaze is incredible blaze is brilliant blaze comes out looks like a legit superstar her her opponent leilani kai looks like a cartoon character and does the whole oh, i've missed you with the grab and you've gone a bit my legs and whereas blaze is just like i'm better than this i'm better than this i am this is what we should be doing this is you know this i'm i'm the future and bittersweet for her that she was around at this time she probably enjoys watching women's wrestling now but thinks ah yeah completely and uh, there, are many things, there are many things you can criticise about WWE and the women's product now, but at least they've welcomed her back. The only match we
1: haven't mentioned saw so Earthquake beat Adam Bomb in 35 seconds, bracket Stone Cold voice. That's not all I got to say about that. Overall then, good show this, Carrie?
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed it. But then you just sent me to say that it's got harp, shenanigans bookending it. But no, I enjoyed it all the way through, even though some of it was very strange.
1: Do you think, Carl, that when we inevitably come to rank these WrestleManias, once we've finished is this going to be maybe a top five, certainly a top 10 contender of a show?
3: No, this is firmly in the middle for me. It's got the two, it's got two of the best wrestlers of all time, according to WWE, at least, doing their thing separately. But other than that, it's not particularly compelling, although I do want to see a brother v brother or tag team thing what basically Bret Hart's entire storyline do that on NXT um, we're starting to learn that you desperately want a wrestling match with your brother I think as
1: this series goes Anytime.
0: on <laughs> um,
1: Axel, for the first time I saw him bulk
4: when uh, you said that this was firmly in the middle you, you rate this show this is definitely top 10 and maybe top 5 in my opinion it's got two bookends to like it's got it's got a great great starting match it's got the the You know, the genesis of the ladder match, which has gone on to dominate WrestleMania since. And it's got a good ending. And it's got a good ending that, you know, the director's botch, but, you know, it has the brother v. brother at the end. So it kind of comes full circle. For me, this is a fantastic WrestleMania. OK, I'm going first with WrestleMania
1: moments because I reckon we've all got the same. And I want to say it first. Howard Finkel's wig being celebrated by Cy Sperling, the president of the hair club for men. Um, what a moment. I mean damn it, it looked like a good wig this chap from the hair club for men which it sounds like a pretty cool club um <laughs> pop the wig uh on pre-match uh apparently and the fink had hair for a bit fantastic uh can you top that carrie
2: well i wasn't going to say that i have to say um yeah you know i'm going to pick a heart moment so i might just well get it get it over with um owen's little face at the end
3: carl um i do have a heart moment, which is the bit right at the start where they begin to chain wrestle and Owen kicks Brett in the face and then Brett wags his finger like, oi simmer down, which is again, fraternal fighting is interesting, but also Vince um, I think it's in the second match where he goes you know what Lola, after your comments in this match and the one before it, I have to say you're not a nice guy.
1: <laughs> True dat. Uh, that anchor versus anchor match, by the way, we'll stream that on Tout as and when it happens. Um, <laughs> Anton, do you have a, a WrestleMania moment?
4: Um, it's what went through my mind when I saw Earthquake because I completely forgot Earthquake was a thing. An Earthquake is a. Let's say he's past his peak, he's bald and still got the sort of mullet and he's just got a massive gut and has that kind of home stitched sort of clothing and leotard. It's all very odd. And then I just started thinking about sports people that went on too long, so like Gordon Strachan at Coventry and Tony Cotty when he played in all four leagues and Pele in Escape to Victory in New York Cosmos and that kind of thing. It just, my mind just went off and then all of a sudden, Earthquake had won. I don't even know who he wrestled, but apparently. Adam Baum.
1: Of hey, Three Mile
4: Island, <laughs> maybe. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I just, I like it when things are so bad, it makes me think of other things. And that was definitely what Earthquake did.
1: All right, well, we're going to take a little pause. Uh, next time, when we come back, we're all off to Vegas, baby. JR in a toga, Hulk Hogan stealing the spotlight, shocking her, and the giant Gonzalez. Until then, Carrie, where can people keep up with you on Twitter?
2: At Carrie Sparkle.
1: And Carl. Anchorman 616. And Anton. at Sky Anton. Thanks for your company. Share, subscribe, rate and review. I've been Matt Davis Adams. You've been in Parts Unknown. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com.